in three, two, one. Leadership is not defined by your title or the size of your office. Leadership is defined by the difference you make, by your capacity to build leaders around you, and by results. Ready to find your voice, deepen your presence, and amplify your impact? You're going to enjoy my conversation with best-selling author, speaker, and coach, David Irvine. Well, hi, David. Welcome to the program. We're delighted to have you. Thanks for having me, Michael. I was trying to think how long we've known each other for, but I think it's going on 25, 30 years. And somewhere in that- Oh, we go way back. Yeah, we go way back. Now, we're talking about leadership and authentic leadership in our topic today, and how do we create that, the benefits of that. But let's give a little context to this. So your story professionally started back in the 80s as a counselor, family therapist, you were social work, you were working with different families. How did you get from there to where you are today? Okay, so- go back to the 80s. My first degree was in early childhood education. And then I got a master's degree in social work. And I was a family therapist for eight years, right. full time. Now, it's very interesting when you're a family therapist, Michael, nobody ever brings in their good kids. So all I saw were people in pain. And frankly, by the time they end up in my office, it's like putting a bandaid on an artery wound. And so I thought there's got to be a better way to do this. So what I started to do was talks for parents back in the mid 80s, on raising accountable kids. This has always been a passion of mine. And I ended up getting business leaders in my parenting talks who said, you should really come and talk to our company about this. Now, I had no clue what I was doing. It's called consulting, right? So I went into their company and I said, what were you, a bunch of parents? No, but they just said, just take the word family and replace it with the word company and come and talk to us about how to build accountability in our organization. When I went in there, something in me said, this is where I'm supposed to be. So just out of word of mouth, it evolved to where I was working almost full-time with organizations, but I really needed to understand about business. So I was in Lethbridge, which is in Southern Alberta up here in Western Canada. So I moved my business from Lethbridge up to Calgary and went into business with two guys that collectively had about 40 years in the oil patch. And they had a tool and a process for accountability. And it was my philosophy. And we married those two together. We published a book back in the 90s called Accountability, Getting a Grip on Results. If you were in the top 10 oil companies in Calgary in those days, you'd have used our process. We sold that. It's really what catapulted my business. My big claim to fame is we sold 80,000 copies of that book to Luke Oil in Russia, went over to Russia and taught this Russian company how to build accountability in their organization. So anyway, that was really my bread and butter back in those days. But something started to shift. It was very transactional, Michael, and it was kind of check the box. It was a great process for managing expectations, but something in me said there's got to be more to this. So I started to do some research in the early 2000s about what people want from their leaders. And this gets back to our conversation today. And we interviewed about 4,000 people in a wide variety of organizations. And what we asked them is, what do you want from your leaders today? And what we got was that what we want from our leaders is to get past the fads and the gimmicks and the flavors of the month. We want our leaders to be real. So I started to write a book about real leadership. And what I discovered is before you can be a real leader, you have to be a real human being. And I come back to your work around being preferred. You want to be preferred. You got to be real. And this has been my passion for the last 20 years is to take authenticity and marry it with accountability. You have to integrate both. Accountability without authenticity is drudgery. But authenticity without accountability is fantasy. And so when you marry them together, it's what I call destiny. 
It's really creating cultures around those two core values. Well, it's interesting. I really loved your book on accountability. Matter of fact, to this day, we still use in our coaching programs the accountability agreements, which all the foundations come from your book and for yours. I've recommended the book to so many of our clients. So anyone who's looking for accountability internally and externally, it's a great way to do it. We do accountability agreements, for instance, even with our clients and our customers. Here's your role, here's our role, and here's what we're going to do. So again, I know it's still appropriate in today's world. Let's talk more about the leadership because leadership's changed and authenticity. We need to probably define our terms. Let's define authenticity. How are you defining it as it relates to leadership? Well, first of all, it is difficult to articulate. It's a lot like you know when you are in the presence of authenticity, but it's really hard to describe. It's like coming out of a art museum and you say, that's a beautiful experience. And then someone well, articulate what that is. Well, you just kind of have to experience it. It's hard to put words so to So my it. best way of defining authenticity is this. We're not born accountable. You have to learn to be accountable, but we are born authentic. If you look into the eyes of a baby, you see authenticity. And the closer we are to our creative source, the more authentic you are. So in the three criteria for me is truth, beauty, and love. And you have to connect with those three values. But the challenge is, what is truth? I'd like to delve more deeply into what really is truth. It's unarguable. But that is what authenticity is, is it's the essence of who we are. But we grow up in this world that takes us away from the person that we're meant to be. We're all born as a seed of possibility, but we grow up in this world where we it's easier to raise obedient kids than it is to raise authentic kids. So what we do is that we lose touch with the essence of who we are. And what authenticity is, is going back to that essence and rediscovering who we're meant to be. That's an interesting concept. So we're born authentically, and then that's kind of taught out of us. It's kind of just through our processes. Like if we look at education, a lot of the education system came from Europe, and I think Russia actually in the very early, they had these taskmasters, these factory managers, and they wanted to train workers and hey, here's the classroom, I'm gonna be up the front, here's a number two pencil, and we train out the creativity. You can't color outside the lines, you have to do it this way, two plus two equals four. You have your the fundamentals so that we have a bunch of trained robots, really, or factory workers. So we have to get back to our authenticity, is what you're saying, and how do we do that? There must be a way to identify that and what's real for us. This is my whole work. Right. I mean, and this has been my whole research, my whole focus the last 20 years. And part of it is to slow down and begin to look at what were the defining moments in your life that made you who you are. At the time that you think it's hell, that you couldn't go through this, that it's difficult, but actually in the light of time's perspective, you begin to understand how those defining moments were actually guiding you to your true self. But it's a matter of slowing down. You know, there's several strategies for how you become authentic. One is to slow down and just pay attention. We were just describing before the call, you sitting in the morning and doing some journal writing. How often do we actually sit and connect with our inner voice? I coach people who wake up in the morning with their devices on their bedside table. And before they even get out of bed, they're checking their stock prices, they're checking the news, they're checking the social media posts, they're checking right. their emails, and they're bombarded with what the world expects from them. And that's what I call their accountable self, that they're responsive to the world. But we have to balance that with connecting with something deeper within ourselves. And we're not really trained 
at how to do that. So there's a lot of misconceptions about what authenticity is. Yeah, and I think it's a challenge as well because you're getting the habits. Like one of my habits is I'm a 5 a.m. guy, so I get up and I do my little bit of studying of things that I'm interested in, a lot of philosophy, a lot of principles. Then I'll do some journaling. Then 5.30, I start working on research and development, but it's a real temptation for me to go check the news or what's the stock market going to do today or what's going on in the world. And it's an addiction. And it's being able to break that addiction. How many likes did I get? How many did this post get? So I read this in, I think it was in your book, Caring is Everything, or it might have been the other Everest book, where you talk about the passing of your brother Hal was a catalyst for you for slowing down. Tell us a little bit about that and how that came I've, to I've had several catalysts in my own life. But one significant one was when my brother was diagnosed. He was a rural physician up here in Western Canada. And he was diagnosed with a brain tumor back in 2013. And I spent three and a half years caring for my brother. Now, I didn't do the heavy lifting. He had a caregiver and sure. his, two caregivers and his wife. But I subbed off the caregivers one day a week. And I spent a day with my brother, bathed him and shaved him and massaged his feet, fed him. I mean, stuff I never thought I'd ever do with my brother. And his dying actually awakened something in me to live more deeply because there's nothing like doing something real, like helping someone die. Helping someone birth and helping someone die are probably the two primary authentic moments in life is when we get confronted with our own mortality and what that is. And having those conversations where I'm sitting at his bedside, not having a clue what to say to him, but there's no social media in that moment. There's no distractions. You see, this is what happens, Michael, is that we have a seductive world that distracts us right. from the person that we're meant to be. And if we begin to look at what do we do to distract ourselves, and I intentionally went over there and went through the discomfort of no distractions, of just being in his presence, being present in the dying process. And there's something about that caregiving journey. That was, for me, authentic. Now, again, there's no formula here about what makes an authentic leader. Otherwise, it wouldn't be authentic. My journey has been through caring for my brother, facing depression in my life, having to come to grips with that, leaving a fundamental church that my whole community was based on growing up and leaving that and finding my own voice. These are some of the defining moments for me. And this is what we do in our retreats is that I have people take a look at their own life and look back in their life. What were the defining moments for you that helped make you real, that helped make you resist the human tendency to distract yourself and, in fact, go deeper into yourself? Success, Michael, isn't just about height. It's also about depth. And if you're going to grow high, just like a tree, if you're going to grow high, you have to have deep roots. Right. And authenticity is the journey down. It's like growing down as much as we have to grow up. Accountability is growing up. Authenticity is growing down. And when you marry those two, you're really unstoppable in life. And this is really what a fulfilling, meaningful life is. My dad gave me a piece of advice when I was 17. He said, you know, the conventional thing for me is to wish you success. He said, I'm not going to wish you success because you'll be successful at whatever you do. What I wish for you is that you understand the difference between a successful life and a meaningful life. And it, this is truly what brings you meaning is when you align your life. I had no clue what my dad was talking about, but that's, it's been in the back of my mind all my life is when you align your true nature, the essence of who you are with what you do, that is true meaning in life. 
It's interesting. And that alignment's important. You know, we had Vince Bassani, who's a mutual friend of ours, and we were talking about one of his books, The Ant and the Elephant. He said, if you're the ant and you're headed west, but the elephant's headed east, okay, you've got this massive thing working against you, right? So it's crazy to get moving in the same direction and get the alignment. So it's getting our authenticity and our leadership. And I think you clearly state this in your book that leadership, authentic leadership comes from presence, not position. Explain a little more on that. Well, leadership has nothing to do with title. Right. So it has to do with who you are. And leadership is about a decision to make the world a better place, to make a difference, and then be able to organize and empower people around you to realize that cause. And you can get that at any level in any organization. Anybody can become a leader by making a decision to be that. Now, the other thing is you can't declare yourself a leader. There's a difference between a boss and a leader. Organizations that I work with are certainly overbossed and underled, and you don't get promoted to leadership. You get promoted to being a boss, but you have to earn the right to be a leader, and you're not really a leader until someone declares you a leader. It's in the eyes of the beholder. Sure. So leadership is about impact and has nothing to do with the title. In fact, just a little side story here, but I remember working with a CEO once who took me aside and said, I never promote anybody in my company until they've spent six months volunteering and leading in a volunteer organization, because I want to make sure that they can lead without a title. If they need a title to lead, they don't get a title around here. What I want to see is, can you lead without a title? Can you influence and impact people without a title through your presence? That's what leadership meant. And it was a really, it was a great vision. Yeah, that's a, that's a good, good story and good point. This episode is sponsored in part by Rainmaker Digital Solutions, featuring ActiveCampaign. Looking to drive growth with customer experience automation? ActiveCampaign, the number one marketing automation platform for e-commerce, B2C and B2B companies, gives you the email marketing, marketing automation, and CRM tools you need to create incredible customer experiences. ActiveCampaign is the platform we use to reach, nurture, convert, and grow our business, and you can use it to grow yours. You can see why 150,000 plus businesses like yours choose Active Campaign to help them grow and become preferred in the markets they serve. You can also start your free trial by visiting our website and clicking on the Active Campaign trial link. As a bonus, we'll also give you a digital copy of my book, Becoming Preferred How to Outsell the Competition. And in the interest of full disclosure, I am a shareholder in the company. And now back to my conversation with David Irvine. Now, the state of leadership in the world today, when I look at our leaders, our political leaders, our corporate leaders, there seems to be a big disconnect between authentic leadership. Is there a way in which we can tell as a spectator or as a participant who's being authentic, who isn't? How do we know it? You said you know it when we see it. What should we be looking for? Well, it's an interesting notion. First of all, we're not going to see it in others if we don't see it in ourselves. Right. So unless we're on our own personal authentic journey, it's going to be difficult mm. to see authenticity around us. Yeah, good point. Having said that, Michael, I don't know that we're living in a day and age where politicians are going to be the leaders. I haven't seen a politician in leadership probably in my generation. Maybe Nelson Mandela was the last world leader that was truly a leader. If you take Abraham Lincoln, for example, who's a guy that I certainly, I love to read about Abe Lincoln and sure. love to read his story. He would never, I, I don't know whether if he'd have been open about his manic depression and his mental illness, 
and been real about that, he'd have gotten crucified today. In an age of social media, oh, yeah. I don't think he would have been allowed to lead. And so we organize in authenticity at the political level. And I actually don't expect our politicians to be leaders today. It's not what I would view as where our leadership is going to come from. Our leadership is going to come from what you're doing in your work, grassroots, from the bottom up. I just don't see leaders at the senior level. I mean, you will see them, but that's not the primary state of where leadership is right. coming from today. They're an the exception, not a rule. at the political level. Yeah, they're an exception, not a rule. Is there a danger for executives or people in leadership roles who want to become more authentic? but are maybe scared to move into that arena? Like we've seen this, for instance, around diversity, equity, and inclusion. We've had conversations on the show where we've talked about DEI and the problem is me, the straight white guy. And I don't mean me personally, but the straight white guy is holding on to his power and, you know, we had the problem, first of all, with people getting the right to vote, then with equal wages, and we're still not in the same place. And organizations are bringing in people. And the problem is the white leader, if you will, and I use it just as a generic term, has a perspective, but he's also got the rest of the organization to be responsible for. So how does he create or she create a safe environment where our whole authentic selves can show up in our welcome? Well, what you do is you create an environment where it's rewarded and acknowledged and recognized to tell the truth. Mm. Now, the truth you want to make sure is not an opinion. So let's suppose, this is where we get confused. People walk around being a jerk, saying, that's just my authentic self. Well, I'm going to tell you, you go back to a baby. Babies right. aren't born a jerk, right? No. You learn to cope. It's a coping mechanism. So if you say something in a meeting and I say, that's the stupidest thing I ever heard, that's not truthful. We think that's truthful. That's an opinion. A right. truth, truth is inarguable. So truth says that comment that you made, I was offended by it. That's truthful. You can't argue with, I mean, you could, but your argument has no ground. So what you do is you create an environment that makes it acceptable and supported and rewarded to speak the truth. The truth is as a leader, you know what? I'm a hypocrite at times. I have these values and I don't live all these values all the time. You and I, Michael, are white privileged males. That's the truth. Right. And we have a lot to learn. So we don't need to apologize for that. But if you don't feel safe, the big thing with psychological safety, and we could have a whole conversation right. on that, is create a place where it's safe, not whenever you don't feel safe. Let's create a conversation around that. But in order to do that, you have to be comfortable with yourself and comfortable with the people around you, and comfortable with the wide spectrum of who you are in order to create that. Otherwise, you're going to put blinders on what can be said around here and what can't be. Right. Well, you set that tone. Now, you've worked with lots of leaders with different organizations all over the world, and through your coaching and your mentoring programs and your online programs and your speeches and lectures. Do you get feedback from them on where maybe they become traditional leaders, if you will, and then moving to the authentic to what kind of feedback do you get from them from a results point of view or a, hey, that didn't work or because some people view it as showing weakness sometimes because I know you talk about harvesting or the word you use was excavate your authenticity from difficult life experiences, right? I thought, great, great, excavating it. Wow, that's a good term. But is there a risk? Is there a downside or do you win at the end of the day? If you're showing your weaknesses, that's not necessarily truthful. And this is where, again, that, see, you have, we all have weaknesses. Right. And we all have strengths. We all have resources. 
that's all truthful. And the more you know yourself, the more you bring truth to the world, people aren't going to be threatened by your weaknesses because they'll also see your strengths. They'll see where you're, where you can build those strengths around you. So in my work, it's a little skewed because authentic leaders are the ones who tend to hire me. Right. People yeah. who are aligned with my message. Right. So I'm preaching I, to I, the I choir. See the world through a bit of a skewed lens. There. Right. <laughs> However, I'm certainly finding that people are on their own journey. I am finding through my lens and research that people are really becoming more authentic and we're creating workplaces where people want to stick around. And by the way, I'm doing a webinar on attracting and retaining people and engaging talent in a labor shortage. And folks, it's about culture and right. it's about where people want to show up and it's where people want to belong. And when you are authentic, you want to line up in an authentic place. And this is what the pandemic, Michael, has done is that it's made us think about what our values are. And I think for many people, it's taken us into a deep, authentic journey. And we're saying, you know what? I'm not going to sell my soul to the company anymore. I'm right. going to step away and find and do something that's authentic. Well, what if we could actually know our authentic self, create workplaces where people can come and be their authentic self, where they can find their gifts and their passion and their vocation in life and really live that, you're going to have a loyal employee. And if they decide to move on, they're going to make your company by being authentic. There's no question that it's going to create a more productive workplace because you've got a culture where people love to come to work in. Yeah, there's a resonance. There's a, a vibration. When we see it, we know it. It feels good. We trust it. And you talk about this when you're training in your programs, that in order to unleash or unlock that true leadership potential, we need to align or connect with our visions, our purpose, and our deepest core values to really unleash that, unlock that. So is that the first step to it is to get clarity around that first and say, what are our values? What do we value? And then how do we bring that into our workforce? So how do we employ it? Yeah. So there's several entry points here that you can get to. One is just spending time in nature. There's no straight lines in nature. It's right. authentic. So if you hang around nature, you're going to become more authentic, setting some time each week to do that, or hanging around kids, or just being still, or having a practice of going inside every day, uh, a meditation practice, a prayer practice, whatever you want to call it, where you just shut the world off and you make it a habit, regardless of how I feel, I'm going to just take some time like you do with your journal writing and quiet time in the morning. Yeah. So any of those places. But then once you start to become still, then there's some conscious structural work, I call, where you start to clarify your values, where you start to find your why, where you start to find your passion in life, where you start to reconcile your past. And whether it's trauma or whatever you were raised and with, we all so have you it. uncover yeah. that and uncover your authentic self that way. Once you start to get really clear on a purpose that's right for you, then you can start to align your work around that. And then you build authentic workplaces. Organizations do a reasonable good job of having these values. The problem is their value statements rather than values, yeah. but they do a good job of coming up with these values. What we don't do a good job is marrying that, integrating it into the values of the people in that organization. And when those two are married together, we have this thing called fit. And we got to fit people, don't fix people. Let's stop just giving people a job or straightening them out or taking their weakness and turning it into strength. It'd be far better investment if we could find a fit, and in my words, an authentic fit between values, passion, purpose, 
gifts? And where does that align with the values, passion, and purpose of the organization? And when those two are integrated, people are engaged. You don't have to ever talk about right. motivation anymore. That makes good sense. I mean, well, we put words to that, but my passion is to make that real. Sure. So as a leader, what do we say? Do I tell this story or do I share this experience or does it make me look too weak? What's the point? But again, I find when you're vulnerable and we're talking about, I think authenticity and vulnerability go hand in hand. Vulnerability breeds vulnerability and attachment, I think. And because our nature is good, we don't kind of hit you when you're down. So if a leader is sharing a story or an experience of something traumatic, and it could be absolutely just horrible that they wouldn't want anyone really to know, but they tell their organization, there's going to be those who maybe look at it, how can I use this against that person or for, for maybe political gain. But I think there's going to be other people that just resonate with that and go, hey, this is something I can get behind. Is that how you see it? Exactly. I was doing some coaching just a couple of weeks ago with a senior executive, and he had just gotten this promotion, and he had just been moved in front of his team. And the question is, what am I going to say to my team as an introduction of myself? And he had all these PowerPoint slides and all the statistics and all the, all right. the data, right? And then he got to thinking, he says, what I really want to tell this team is I want to show them about my pictures of my dad growing up on our farm and what I learned on the farm and what my values are on the farm. I really just want to tell them a story. Much and, better. But he's so scared to do that because yeah. he said, well, that's not going to be relevant. And he, he'd never been that vulnerable before. I think we think vulnerability means we have to spew what we would tell a therapist. Yeah, it shows you know? weakness. And, and we, yeah. Have to, we have to get it all. That's not necessarily vulnerability. Vulnerability says, what's in your heart? And what right. was in his heart was what was in his upbringing and his stories. He had that group. I watched him give that presentation. And he had that group in the palm of his hands in three minutes. And they were just all engaged with him because he was real. And yeah. he shared his values and he shared his passion and his purpose and what he's struggling with and what his love is. And that's what authenticity is. No, How do you teach that? The worst thing you can do is turn authenticity into another leadership program. Right. It's one of those things that you can develop, but you can't teach it like a skill, but you develop getting to know yourself and you're on that journey. And if right. you're struggling, that means you're on the journey. It's not a destination. There's no arriving. You're evolving. Yeah. Yeah. There's definitely no arriving. It's just when I think I have it, it's like, oh boy, I guess I don't. Well, and I like in your writings and in your books, you talk about clarifying your values. And then there was a really great line where you talk about clarify your value and then eliminate everything that's unimportant so you can maximize your contributions. And I thought, you know what, I've been going down that path as well, because we want to connect to our vision, obviously, our purpose and our deepest core values so that we can unlock all that potential. And really is a self-awareness issue, right? So how do we develop our own self-awareness? And I don't know if it's an age-related thing, because when I was younger, I'm definitely not thinking about it. It seems like, and I don't want to generalize, but it seems like men are a little slow. Maybe it's our egos or something behind. In personal development, I see women all the time trying to make themselves better, working self-aware. They're very much focused on that. And I know men can be as well, because we do. But do you see differences there between men and women when it comes to leadership and finding their authentic selves and aligning with their values? I do. Women have certainly taken the lead in this area. Yeah, but I think you so. You know what? We're stepping up to. We're starting. I'm. I get a lot of men through my programs who are really letting their humanity out. I'm also seeing young people. Yeah. Not so much in their twenties, but I'm seeing some pretty conscious thirty-year-olds who maybe have been through it, their own trauma and have really said, 
I want to live more authentically. Now, where the mentoring can come in and the coaching is around their accountability, because just because you're authentic and you're starting to think in this, you still got to show up in the world and you still have to be accountable. So it's a matter of balancing those. Sure. I'm seeing certainly the whole spectrum of the human experience joining this. Yeah. And I see the young people, I kind of like, they're very purposeful. I'm a baby boomer. And for us, it was just get a job, get working. And there wasn't a lot of purpose in what we did. We just went and got good jobs to be good providers, right? And then as we evolve, it's like, why do I want to do this? Or if I have to work this hard so I can buy things that other people I don't even know or care about think of me differently versus what would I do if it was just me? And going back to the authentic selves and we're both fortunate we have lovely ladies that help us, remind us to be our authentic selves when we go awry, if you will. Tell me, if you're a leader in your organization, what's one of the first things we can do if we want to go down that journey and what can we do to level up our leadership personally or those that we're responsible for? Where's a good place to start? First of all, it can't be authentic if there isn't love component to it, if there isn't a service component, hmm. if there isn't a giving, you know, there's two kinds component. of people, there's givers and takers. Right. And this is about contribution. So rolling right. up your sleeves and saying, how can I help here? Yeah. How can I be a good citizen here? Instead of a consumer that complains, a citizen that contributes. Begin to look around ways that you can make the world around you better. And it isn't greener on the other side of the fence. As my dad would always say, it's greener where you plant it. So no matter where you are, grow there. Right. Grow, contribute, offer what you can. And then in the same time, ask yourself, am I aligning my authenticity with this? Am I engaged with this? I do think there's an element of duty. I mean, we have Remembrance Day in Canada, and my parents' generation learned this notion of duty and service. Well, I think there's something to be said about going back to some of those fundamental values and integrating that into our heart's desire. Right. That makes sense. How is authentic leadership different from traditional leadership around training. So for instance, when we train traditionally for leadership, it's always about the how of it. So what you teach and what you work on for the authentic leadership, what are the differences there? Oh, that's a great question, Michael. So there's two aspects. There's leadership practices, mm -hmm. which are the skills of leadership. And as important as capabilities are and abilities are, who you are as a person is even more important. So there's leadership practice, and then there's leadership presence. And so what leadership presence is exploring who you are as a human being. It's about how you got to be. What I'm passionate about is not so much what leaders do, even though I do give a lot of tools in my leadership programs. What I'm really interested in is how did you become who you are? What's your story? And that's about leadership presence. Like, it's the difference between having a to-do list and having a to-be list. How do you want to be today? Right. How do you want to show up today? Yeah. And and really getting to know you as a person, self-awareness, knowing your blind spots, knowing your shadow aspects. Where are you intimidating as a leader that you don't even know that you're intimidating? Where do you create a place that's not safe, that's not inclusive? What are your blind spots in knowing that? That's all self-awareness. That's all developing presence. What are your values? What's your purpose? What are your gifts? What do you struggle with? These are all understanding who you are as a person. What makes it difficult when you say goodbye to your spouse or significant other in the morning, when you're on the cell phone with somebody at the office or a customer that's demanding, what makes it difficult for you to just set that cell phone down and be present to your significant other before you walk out the door? Being present with people requires 
knowing and deepening who you are as your authentic self. So that's that presence underneath the practices. That's interesting. Good distinction there too. And in your book, I read and I actually made notes on this where you talk about the core elements of authentic leadership presence. So number one, you have clarity. So living in alignment with your values. So we can't just have value and we can blow it sometimes. I mean, I have values and sometimes I blow that one value or something stupid, bad decision or whatever. Number two, character which you talk about now the courage to face the demands of the reality, the situation. Talk a little more about, and then we've got centering, calling, creativity, and community. Just touch on each one of those just for a little bit. Yeah, you bet. So character is about showing up in the world. Character is about that all is my accountability piece. For example, character is about knowing what you value. Clarity is about knowing your values. Character is about putting that into practice. Right. So character is about, hey, what are my core values this week? And it's what Covey used to talk about, those big rocks, knowing those big rocks. Now, whether that's getting up and exercising in the morning, because that's one of your big rocks, and you show up and develop the integrity of doing that, or whether you show up for a daughter's soccer game, you show up and you have personal responsibility. And I could spend a whole right. a whole session just on character, but it's understanding the difference between being a consumer and being a citizen in life, blaming others versus really taking ownership and taking personal responsibility to make the world better every day. So that's, in essence, what character is. Facing whatever you're going through in life without escaping from it. Sure. And that's where the courage comes in. So centering, then, is you say it's knowing your worth away from your work. So it's stepping away from the demands of the world. It's what you do every morning. Right. Getting yourself centered first before you start your day. Right. Just like character is doing something hard before you start your day. What Covey used to say, a private victory precedes a public victory. Centering is about connecting with your authentic voice before the day starts and staying centered all day long so that you don't just get swept away by the tyranny of the urgency. And distractions or someone else's urgency. No, it's interesting. And it's when you start your day, I start looking at that day like I want to own that part of the day. And even when I engage with my wife who works with and runs lots of our, well, she runs our company actually. So that's as simple as that. But we start the morning with a dance. So we put on a, might be Tennessee whiskey by Chris Stapleton or whoever it is. And we have a little waltz. And so we're not, she's still a little sleepy in the morning, but we try and do the dance. And it's just a nice way to connect. And I've been sharing with a few friends, hey, dance with your partner first thing in the morning. It sets up a day. So it's kind of a stage setup, right? For that day and then try and stay centered. And then knowing your worth, Instead of just your identity as a, hey, I'm a CEO of this corporation or I'm the CFO of this corporation. Just want to just say yeah. that's that's centering your relationship yeah. so that you get connected with each other beyond your roles. Right. That's not Beth, the right. person in charge of your company, and it's not right. Michael, the podcast guy. It's two human beings yeah. that are connected. And centering requires a daily practice where you do it every day. Yeah. And that's what keeps you grounded during the course of the day. Keeping grounded. Prayer could be a centering exercise, right? Yeah, yeah, excellent. Calling. Yeah. Calling has to do with what the Japanese call your reason for being. It's your ikigai, which is your ikigai. it's called your gifts that intersect with your passion, that intersect with your contribution in the world. Oh, what a great person. Those three circles intersect. That's where the soul's desire meets the world's need. And that's what calling is. Now, when that calling you get paid for, we call that a vocation. If it's in your paid work, that we grow that circle in your paid work. And if you're growing that circle with your team, 
you're going to have loyal employees because they don't want to leave a place where they're leaving their calling. If that calling is outside of your paid work, we call that an avocation, where you live that calling in your volunteer work, in your family, in your personal relationships, in your contribution to your community. Well, I saw an interview where you were talking to the interviewer and you were talking about this actually and about the calling and basically it's what does the world need now? And when COVID hit, a lot of your engagements disappeared. And so you took that time to reflect and work on and maybe it takes more than one session, multiple sessions to come up with and listen to, hey, what does the world need from me right now with my skills and abilities? What can I get? Is that what you're talking about? Yeah, it is. And then if you align that with centering, for example, right. so that you know where your voice is, you know what you want to bring, you know what your soul desires to bring, and then you marry that with what the world needs, then you have calling. So, I mean, my business, as your business, I got unemployed for two years, right. and suddenly got all my bookings <laughs> yeah, exactly. for two years taken off. So I said, yeah. you know what, what's my calling? So everybody said to me at the beginning of the pandemic, oh, you can pivot. And I just wanted to punch him in the face because what I needed to do was to go for some walks through the forest behind our home and spend some time going in and saying, what do I really want to bring to the world right now? I mean, I could have retired, but so far, that's a whole story for another day, but I won't retire because I feel called to do this. I feel called to bring something to the world. So what does the world need and what's in my heart? And it took three months to go through a process of discovering that. And then I was able to pivot because then it was authentic. And then I was able to develop these online academies and this SAGE forum for self-awareness and all of these programs that we're now offering that were birthed through my centering and through my quietness and everything that I've been teaching here. And very interesting. And like I say, you give lots of stories and examples, but it's being aware of how to pivot, how to make those changes. So from there, that's where you created the Sage Forum and then your online, which just talk about the Sage Forum uh, quickly. And then let's talk about the Academy and who's that for and how people can benefit because you have that going on a fairly regular basis. So the Sage Forum, it's a peer mentoring program. So 10 to 12 leaders at all levels of organization get together. We've got a group of facilitators now. They get together for one session, four hours a month, three and a half to four hours a month. They have an annual retreat each year. There's a lot of these kind of forums available for CEOs. But what we want to do is we want to offer it to people who aren't necessarily at a C-suite level, just people who are committed to being difference makers, committed to being authentic, and committed to supporting each other and holding each other accountable to live authentically. And so we have a whole program now where we meet together each month with these in these small pods. And they're virtually for anybody at any level of an organization that wants to make a difference in their community, in their family, in their company, what, wherever they are. Community is tough to build, but it's important. And I know for your 30 plus years of advising and teaching and coaching, building up a community of good leaders. So if leaders are looking to get into a community of like-minded leaders, and just from a personal networking perspective, they're getting an opportunity within the Sage Forum to align themselves with other people who think the same way they do. 100%. And, and what often happens at the CEO forum level is that they come together to help build their business. They're like mastermind groups that help right. them build their business. And what we're really committed to is helping you build your life. Now, there may be some business issues that you bring, but everything is on the table. And we find that people are just so open 
with each other because we can't see what we can't see in ourselves. And so this is a way of getting feedback from people and support and accountability from your peers. Well, it's an opportunity to practice your authenticity too, because basically it's your own little, well, let's call it your own little therapy session, so to speak, but there's therapy for everyone. For the person being authentic and the exactly. people vision, yeah, it works works both ways. In a ways. safe, confidential, supportive environment. Awesome. And at this point, it's virtual, so that we get people from a wide variety of organizations, right. all levels of organizations, all walks of life that come together for these small groups every month, and it's been quite magical. Well, like I say, you've got lots of uh, good information. Let's talk about the academy. So the Academy has been historically over the last two years, we do two of these a year. Right. We get leaders together for three days yep. and we take them through. The first day is on leadership presence. The second day is on leadership practices. And then the third day is integrating that together and that you develop, discover and live and plan out your own authentic journey. And we're now moving those back in person and we're having those now. Our next one is scheduled in April from April the 10th to the 12th. So we take people away for three and a half days and we put them into an in-person, in-depth look at their own authenticity. And it's truly what has brought me, I've never done anything more rewarding between the academies and the SAGE forums. I've never done anything in my career more rewarding. So I still love to speak. I still go to companies and I still work. But now what I want to say is this isn't just a one and done deal. If you want to go deeper with this, let me just say this, Michael, we live in a world that doesn't understand the difference between vertical growth and horizontal growth. So we have this horizontal growth where we grow from listening to a great podcast like this, or listening to a TED Talk, or listening to a YouTube message, or reading a good book. But the depth is, hey, listen, I can give you a good speech, but if you want to go deeper with this, we now have the structure and the processes to help you with that. Well said, and it's like you can go there, but if you really want to change, it takes work. And it's a simple process, but it's tough work and you go through, but the rewards are outstanding. And, you know, I've known you, David, for three decades plus, and I think it's still the foundation accountability right through to authenticity because it's your own personal accountability. And I know you'd be a person who practices what you preach, which is the best compliment I can ever give you is the people get who they see. And you've got lots of great resources there. We're going to publish all the links to the websites, the links to your training programs and to the forums and invite anyone who wants to take their leadership and develop that leadership to a new level. There's lots of benefits from it. I mean, you cover everything from building trust to creating clarity to engaging talent in today's world, embracing the change and ensuring results. So if those are all key elements of what you're trying to achieve as you try to become the preferred providers in your market or preferred leader in your market, then I strongly suggest that they check out some of your work. David, thank you so much for being with us. We really appreciate you sharing some of your time. Thank you, Michael. It's been a real conversation. Much appreciated. This podcast is created and associated with Summit Media. My production team is Beth Smith and Kendra Vickers. The fee for the show is that you share it with friends when you find something useful or interesting. Goodbye.